Hello and welcome back to Young Nostalgia, the podcast that takes a trip down memory lane from two guys that never lived it. I'm Nolan and beside me is Ben, as always. And uh, episode 33 coming at you this month in history for April. But uh, as we talked about before, it's going to have a different spin on it. So for this year of Young Nostalgia, it'll be this month in music history. Um, so obviously today is April. And we'll continue through it all. But uh, it's definitely interesting. Um, you know, there's monumental pieces of history and music in this as well as um, some things that you kind of either shake your head at or give a little grin and uh, giggle at, right? We, we giggle, um, but if you've seen our Twitter and Facebook posts, we actually recorded this episode before, and uh, it just kind of corrupted itself and just caught on fire, so all of this is going to sound, <laughs> yeah, take two, all of this is going to sound extremely familiar to us, um, and so you might hear us make some slewed comments back and forth, um, and my cats are running around making noises already, oh my god, all right. Ben, how you doing, man? <laughs> oh, it's been a good day. You know, it's, it's always <laughs> great to have to re-record something. <laughs> I know. A couple days in a row. Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> uh. <clears throat> did, you hear, did you hear that? <laughs> Those were my cats. Okay, you know what? We're not going to waste any more time. Let's get down and, and start this shindig. <laughs> Uh, April 2nd, man. Go ahead and take it away. Okay, April 2nd of 1939, Marvin Gaye was born. Um, I mean, I don't I don't really think there's there's anyone who, who doesn't know who Marvin Gaye is. And if you don't, you should. Like, shut the podcast off and go look up Marvin Gaye. <laughs> and then come back. And then you can start singing, let's get it on. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> but going back to April 1st, Kind of backtracking a little bit here. April 1st of 1984, he was actually tragically shot by his father over an argument he intervened on between his parents. Um, and he would have been turning 45 years old the next day. Wow. You know what? Okay, I, I'm going to have to go off real quick. It's just so weird because I remember what we talked about, but it's weird to try and bring up the conversation and make it candid again. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> you know what I mean? Okay, so last time we were talking about how how weird it is, how usually you know big celebrities kind of have just off the wall a little bit ways of passing away. And so here, you know, Marvin Gaye, he was in the prime of his career, um, just intervened in between an argument between his parents, and then you know his he got he got shot. I mean, you know, not very often do you hear that in the news that that happens to people. But you know, celebrities always have an an interesting way to go, I guess, or or y- you know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know. It just seems even even like the most mundane of celebrities. There's always just weird stuff that happens, whether it's with their whether it's in regards to their death or just their life in general. It's just full of weird stuff. Yeah, and yeah, I, I, maybe that just goes along with being a uh, a public figure i don't know but i i don't know there, there's there's always just a plethora of odd stories that go along with celebrities and not most of the time that is a, a, a pretty big basis of our of our shows <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's true it always makes us scratch our head and ask more questions right. uh, all right <laughs> april 3rd back in 1996 mc hammer filed for bankruptcy um 
So I guess the the banks can touch him now. <laughs> you know, even someone like MC Hammer, kind of a, I don't want to necessarily say one hit wonder, but one of those people who does just like gets real big and then fades into the fades into the dark real quick. But it, it is kind of weird when any sort of celebrity files for bankruptcy because they make even like the lower end celebrities make a lot of money, and it's you know. I, it it can be a combination of just you know hard times and all that, but when it comes down to it, it's, there's got to be just a large portion of it is poor money management. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. just terrible decision making. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Should I buy this action figure? Should I not buy this action figure? <laughs> um, 1969 of April 3rd, Jim Morrison turns himself over to the FBI in Los Angeles as he was charged with six counts of lewd behavior as well as public expo- <laughs> public exposure. So doing a little digging, these charges actually stemmed from the infamous Doors gig that took place in, Mi- in Miami on March 1st, 1969, and during which um, the concert, the visibly intoxicated Morrison slurred and stumbled his way through the entire show um, before he allegedly exposed himself to the entire audience by the end of it. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, if if I if I was at that concert, that would have been a concert to remember for sure. But I mean, how many people out there? Like, how many different concerts? How many big bands, um, famous people expose themselves? You know what I mean? Weird stuff <laughs> happens at concerts. Like Ozzy bit off ahead of a bat. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's just. Just weird stuff. I mean, this doesn't, it just doesn't seem like something that is out of the ordinary in the slightest. Um, <laughs> Not at all. Yeah, and the doors mix, are just. <laughs> yeah, when you mix that, you know, that huge amount of drugs and alcohol and put a bunch of people uh, in one area, especially, you know, a, a, a group of them being celebrities as, you know, the doors, you know, it's a door show. <laughs> you, you're. It's a wonder that that kind of thing just doesn't happen more often. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I mean, there's just a whole bunch of these little, this this month in music history things that just makes us laugh or shake our heads. It's funny. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's the kind of stuff that, you know, if it, if it was about anyone else, like you read a news story about, oh, you know, someone got arrested for a lewd behavior. You know, someone who lives up the street got arrested for a lewd behavior. I'm like, oh, what a sicko. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. it's like, oh, Jim Morrison? <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're totally right. You're totally right. That's hilarious. Okay, uh, April 4th, 1968. This is pretty interesting. Jimi Hendrix, B.B. King, and Buddy Guy um, all meet up for an all-night blues session after hearing the news of Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination. And that, that's, <laughs> that, you just got to think of like what, of like how awesome it would be for these three guys to be listening to these three guys in just a jam session, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I mean, and, and, you know, the, the nature of, of their gathering, um, it wasn't really, uh, what am I trying to say? It, it wasn't really a planned thing it wasn't for their careers or anything like that and so we don't have you know it wasn't like it was at a recording studio or anything like that Mm -hmm. to where you can go out and buy the album that they put together all at once so you know you don't there isn't a whole lot of um documentation of that gathering but just knowing that it happened is is still really pretty cool 
No, most definitely. And the thing I appreciated about it the most is that all these guys are connected by one thing, music. And that's mm-hmm. the way that they know how to connect with people and to be able to, you know, give that tribute to MLK like they did, I feel like is is a very, very awesome thing. Yeah, and you know, they're music guys, but not only are they they're not really I wouldn't really call them the same really in the same genre of music either. Two you know, relatively uh, vast, uh, vast interests there. Um, all, you know, kind of blending it all together, which is, that's mm-hmm. always, that always works out pretty good. Yeah, I agree. <clears throat> Moving on to April 5th, 1985 at five, at 3.50 PM, an estimated 8,000 radio stations around the globe simultaneously played We Are the World, which was arranged by Quincy Jones and performed by Michael Jackson and Lionel Richie. Um, it had a huge impact, and the simultaneous broadcast was repeated the next Good Friday in 1986, as well as on its 20th anniversary in um, 2005. And so the big thing about this was just the like we were kind of talking about before, how the difference in performers kind of came together and made one piece, um, and it kind of just brought everyone and shared one moment together at the same time across mm-hmm. 8,000 radio stations across the country, which I think is just so insane. I mean, back then, to be able to get that many radio stations on board on the same time in the same way is beyond me. And, you know, it's in 1985, I mean, there's there was still the big... Uh, the big radio companies uh, that owned a lot of stations, which does make it much easier to coordinate something like that. But it's not like it is today where there's, you know, maybe two or three big ones that basically own every radio station. You know, iHeartMedia, Clear Channel uh, was really big. It's kind of declining a little bit now, but, and, you know, other companies like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, back then there was, there was still more of the independent radio stations, which would just make it that much more difficult to get all on the same page, um, which makes it, you know, that much more cool. Oh yeah, most definitely. Like imagine all the phone calls and everything like that. Uh, oh yeah. Just blows me away. Yeah. And you know, there's another, another thing about that is too, is that the first thing that I really think of and what is actually kind of one of those moments where we talk about, you know, <laughs> trying to remember the good points that we had last time we recorded. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> um, where it's one of those things like, what if you didn't know about that and we're just like turning through your radio dial and just hear the same song on every station oh, yeah. playing simultaneously. Right. Like, you'd, you'd be like a little freaked out until you realize what was going on. <laughs> that's true. That's very true. <laughs> oh, that's good. <clears throat> All right. April 6th of 1968, Pink Floyd announces that Sid Barrett has officially left the group, one of the founding members of the band and was the lead singer up until his departure. Um, he was also credited for the uh, the famous name of the group. Or the I don't really name know. <laughs> of the famous group. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to segue into this other than just saying we talked about this last time as well, but everyone's got to hear it because it's the first time. Um, we, we, co- <laughs> we, brought up, uh, we brought up the point how bands get really big after somebody that had big influence on the band leaves. So, like, uh, we kind of talked about how the Beatles, you know, there was Pete Best, who was the drummer. He obviously left before the Beatles were as influential and big as they were. 
Um, and then now Sid Barrett kind of left in the mid- in the uh, early days of the Pink Floyd career. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it's just kind of interesting just because Sid had a large influence on, you know, the creation, the bond of the group and, and what the group kind of uh, was known to be. And then he leaves before Pink Floyd is a household name. Yeah. It, you know, it, it's, we've talked about it before. There's how there's this happens. It, it It's fairly often you see um, original band members that were pretty important in the formation of the band and as 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 well as establishing uh, their their base fame and and then they just it's like almost as soon as they leave they just skyrocket to like number one uh-huh and I don't know, like it's just got to be weird to be that person that left. It's like, oh man, <laughs> I was there. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. Come on, guys, I was part of it. <laughs> oh man, yeah. So I don't know. It's just got to be kind of a weird situation to be in, especially if you know you don't necessarily break away and have a particularly successful like solo career. Yeah. Like, if you're just yeah, yeah. you're just scraping by and just doing okay for yourself. Like, I don't know, that's just kind of got to stink to, you know, be so close to being part of that big, big band. Well, you know, (laughs) you you know, we also have to look at it from the other side. Maybe Sid was the one holding them back. Oh, you know what? I didn't think about that, too. Maybe maybe that's the reason why bands get big is they get that that one just tool who's dragging them down. (laughs) They just get them to leave and then they're all good. Smooth you guys are li- if you're listening to us out there, we still love your music. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, it's my turn. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> April seventh, <laughs> April seventh, nineteen ninety eight. George Michael is arrested in Beverly Hills, um, in the bathroom for engaging in a lewd act, quote unquote, with an undercover police officer. George Michael is widely known for his talent, his talents in the duo, Wham. But pretty much what happens is that uh, George Michael is, um, he's gay, he's, but uh, in an interview, he was kind of saying that like he had no idea. It was like they went into the bathroom and it was like, you know, it was one of those things where you show me yours and I'll show you mine. And then the police officer just <laughs> took him in for engaging in a lewd act. But anymore, <laughs> George Michael just kind of laughs at it. And I don't think it's really, it, it was nothing to really taint who he was. It was just... You know, it kind of happened, and you kind of just got to shrug it off, I guess. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's this is another thing where, like we talked about with Jim Morrison, if you find if you read in the newspaper that the cashier at the local Seven Eleven was arrested for engaging in a lewd act, it's like, oh, gross! Like, why would anyone do that? <laughs> oh, um, and then you see George Michael, and then it's like, ha 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 ha, George Michael. <laughs> <laughs> I don't it's, know. Like it's it's the same thing, but for some reason this makes it more funny. Yeah. Well, I think was... what, what makes it so funny is that like you know I feel like there's this bubble around these famous people, and that when they see them, you know, kind of brought down to you know what what we would see and be like, whoa, that's weird. Why would anybody do that? It makes it like, oh, I guess uh, I guess they're weird too, and it kind of. Makes I guess they're laugh. just a normal weirdo, just like yeah. everyone else. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just like <laughs> everyone else. <laughs> okay, April 10th, 1970. 
Paul McCartney announces that he quit the Beatles. <clears throat> he filed for the band's formal dissolution on the 31st of December 1970. Legal disputes would continue about royalties from the band's creative projects through 1989. And that's actually, it, it, it goes, it, you know, it said it goes through 1989. That's n not entirely true. It's actually still going on. Um, and there is just a whole series of ridiculous events that <laughs> the, the Beatles, specifically Paul McCartney and John Lennon, have been continually just getting screwed over. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. You know, when they first started uh, putting, the, for their first record label, they was actually a, pretty much it was a, a company design, or, uh, excuse me, founded for the... <laughs> for the uh, production of the Beatles records um, called Northern Songs. And initially, Lennon and McCartney owned 15% stake in Harrison and Starr, splitting another small percentage. Um, um, but between the Beatles and their manager slash business partner with Northern Star, stuff started to it get got kind of heated. Um, and so... There, the majority stake in Northern Songs ended up getting sold to ATV Music, um, and Lennon McCartney actually tried to outbid them, uh, which is kind of a futile effort. You know, I mean, they can an existing record company can obviously just cut a check, you know, to totally outbid anyone else. Oh yeah. Um, so they ended up losing control of their own music, which really stinks. Um, so later on, all the way up into 1985, ATV Music um, had been acquired by Robert Holmes Accord and was uh, ended up shortly after being put up for sale. Um, and this is where it kind of gets interesting because we have another big name enter the mix. Um, <laughs> Michael Jackson, um, who had previously uh, been told about the value of the publishing company by McCartney during... Um, some private recording sessions. Um, so Michael Jackson knew how much they were worth, and so when they came up for sale, he jumped on it and ended up buying ATV's 4,000-song catalog for $47.5 million. Um, <clears throat> which would, it, it, Yeah, yeah, that's nuts. Um, which then led to him being the owner of roughly 250 Lennon-McCartney songs as well as songs by Bruce Springsteen, The Rolling Stone, Elvis Presley, and there was tons more included in that business deal. Mm -hmm. Um and needless to say the uh relationship between McCartney and Michael Jackson was uh not on the best of terms. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I mean later on we there's so much more information that goes into this. There's just weird things going on. Um Jackson had financial issues and then ended up selling part of his stock to Sony and then as a deal, um, more of his stock went to Sony when he couldn't necessarily pay for uh, debts owed to Sony, and it, it, it's 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 still going on. Um, and I think there was supposed to be a resolution set for sometime in 2018, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and that's not even for all of the rights. That's just for like roughly half. And then I think there's another. Uh, another time set in like 2026 where um, the rest of it is supposed to be 
you know, regardless of who it goes to, it's I think it's it's going to be uh, doled out mm-hmm. at, at some point. It hasn't happened yet, obviously, so I don't know what's going to happen. But yeah, <laughs> it's just crazy. It, it's just it is. It's really insane. I mean, throughout the I, I believe like the you know the eighties, the nineties, early two thousands, there was big overhaul in terms of the professional music industry, in terms of you know the rights of the artists. I mean, the, the, their creative right and their their right to their own work it's insane because i feel like for the longest time it was just record companies owned these stars and all the stars were doing what they weren't making music for the fans they weren't making music for themselves they were making music for the money of the record companies it was uh you know and and things are kind of shifting in a way that you know professional music um artists and talents have more of the say in terms of their creative rights um nowadays which is great but the fact that one of the most influential bands throughout the 20th century, almost in music, um, you know, is having troubles with rights to their own music is <laughs> I know. beyond me. Yeah. And, and you know, the, the, these guys were um, vastly wealthy individuals to begin with. But, I mean, they were, they were still losing out on so much revenue. Um just by not owning the rights to their own music. Yeah. You know, especially, you know, after on, after the fact, I mean, their music's still being published. It's still being played over the air. Um, and they're not, they're not getting any money from any of it because they, I mean, they, they didn't, they, they had zero rights in it. <laughs> well, I don't want to say that they had, didn't have zero, but they had minority rights. Yeah. 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 God. All right, no, pushing it's, it's right crazy. along. It's insane. April 11th, back in 1970, uh, the single Let It Be by the Beatles hits number one. I know there. it's always interesting because during this timeline, you know, the Beatles are breaking up, but their music is still hot number one. Um, and I know, obviously, Abbey Road was, was the last recorded album of the Beatles, so, you know, that, that was uh, later to come as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that that is pretty cool. I mean... Th- the well that you know thinking i just thought of this you know people might not necessarily have had any idea of the inner strife in the band that's very true um you know i i I don't i don't know i don't know the news stories of the time i obviously wasn't alive at the time to know what was you know in the media and that sort of thing but um yeah i mean it's the the fans very well could have had no idea that there were problems in the band and so they're just thinking oh cool another album you yeah, know? yeah 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 <laughs> that's song. true cool I'm, i'll buy that yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay uh moving forward april 12th of 2000 napster incorporated is sued by metallica napster focused on peer-to-peer file sharing and emphasized the encoding of music in an mp3 format um up to then, I mean, this was in the infancy of digital music. I mean, CDs were obviously still very popular, um, as and there were digital recordings, but they were kind of a uh, inferior format. I mean, they were the file sizes were large and clunky, and the uh, quality wasn't as high. But this was kind of a, uh-huh. a push towards everything to be MP3. Anyway, getting back on track, the lawsuit revolved around copyright infringement. Uh, the results led to Napster being forced to search to search through its system and remove all copyrighted songs by Metallica. Um, Dr. Dre and several of his fellow artists, a number of record companies, and RIA 
subsequently filed lawsuits of their own, which led to the termination of an additional 230,000 Napster accounts. Holy cow, that was a mouthful. <laughs> um, but uh, later on, about a year later, Napster would later liquidate its assets in 2001. Yeah, and now Napster is more of a of a music distribution, which overall, accompanied with Rhapsody, is owned by iHeartMedia. Mm-hmm. But it's just so interesting because, I mean, Napster pioneered something that would just skyrocket. I mean, when you and I were growing up, I mean, we knew Napster was around, but like LimeWire, things like that were mm-hmm. huge, absolutely huge in terms of music, um, FrostWire, things like that. Um, but those aren't around anymore either. Uh, it's, uh, you know, it's fair to say that I've probably done my fair share of a couple thousand dollars worth of, um, never mind, but, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, I know what you're saying. Um, and you know, this Napster, Napster and Rhapsody together, I guess they're not necessarily super relevant today. I mean, they are partnered with iHeartRadio or iHeartMedia, excuse me, but and they're they're pretty much there as a placeholder, and that's uh-huh. it. I mean, they're there as just a name, but you know, and they had both of them had such a big influence on the er, the early days of internet music. Yeah, you know, they were some of the biggest name back. I mean, I don't know, especially people of our generation. You know, no one goes to the store and looks through the new music that's out finding new albums uh-huh. and you know other i mean okay i have bought music at stores but it's always like the five dollar cd bin at oh yeah you know, at walmart, walmart or something <laughs> i'll look for like the the stevie ray vaughn greatest hits or something like that yeah. but you know these guys were kind of the whether they were illegal or not they were the the kind of the the precursor to the modern uh online music market um, and this is it kind of got people used to the idea of you just, oh, you want music, you just go online and find it. Uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. Which is what we see all the time now. I don't, I mean, some people don't even buy music anymore. It's all just subscriptions, and you just, it's basically internet radio, and it's, mm-hmm. that's really what music revolves around right now. Yeah. Internet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even, you know, typical radio stations, they're going to, like, Alexa, and then you can find them on that. You can, they have mm-hmm. their own apps and all that other good stuff. And, I mean, heck, you could even... Go to a website, type in a YouTube URL, and get the music through there, because it'll just make it into yeah. an MP3 format. Mm-hmm. It's insane. Yeah, that's super common. <laughs> yeah, big time. All right, pushing our time on this, so let's push on through April eighteenth, nineteen seventy. Johnny Cash played for uh, President Nixon at the White House. Um, Nixon showing up just Nixon. like. Any good this month in history? Yeah, any 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 notable this month in history? Nixon is in it. Uh, 1993, <laughs> the police arrest David Lee Roth from Van Halen in New York City for buying a ten dollar bag of marijuana. I mean, this is again imagine just like what that. You, yeah, imagine <laughs> that. Again, this is just one of those things where yeah, you, know, you just have to laugh or shake your head because it's David Lee Roth and he got booked for ten dollars of marijuana. Um, it's just, yeah, like it, yeah. the first thing that pops into my mind, and probably many other people, it's like that's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> like, like... Of all the things, that's what you arrest him for. <laughs> the cop has to be pretty. Uh, you know, I, I would probably take a picture with him and you know fingerprint him and all that good stuff. 
<laughs> yeah. Like, oh, hey, I'm fingerprinting you, but could you give me an autograph? Yeah. 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 <laughs> sign your <laughs> sign your fingerprint card. <laughs> okay. April 22nd of 1950, Peter Frampton was born. I have. <laughs> period. Yeah, period. I, I, have, <laughs> I have no other information to go on with that other than that it's. You might, just for hearing that, you might win a trivia contest. Uh, yeah, yeah. At some point. So. Remember that, 1950, Peter Frampton yeah. was born. You're welcome. <laughs> 19, uh, also on April 22nd, 1969, uh, The Who give their first complete live performance of the rock opera Tommy. Which you said Elton John has a hand in. Or had a hand in, I guess. Oh, yes, yes. We talked about this before. This is where Elton John was actually asked to perform in this uh, <clears throat> rock opera. What, Whatever a rock opera is, I don't know. <laughs> but um, And this is where he, he really gets into playing uh, Pinball Wizard. And... And I, you know, I'm sorry if this offends any Who fans out there, but the Who might have uh, initially uh, created the Pinball Wizard, but Elton John perfected it. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna steer away from this just in case we get some rude emails. Uh, I'm, I'm not gonna comment. But when I hear rock much opera, much better than the Who. Much better than the Who. When I when I hear rock opera, you know that uh, J.G. Wentworth commercial. Oh my gosh! Yes, okay. that's what I'm thinking of. <laughs> Call J.G. Wentworth eight seven seven cash now. Cash now. <laughs> uh, all right, April twenty third, nineteen eighty eight. Uh. Whitney Houston becomes the first artist to hit number one on the U.S. Hot one hundred chart with seven consecutive singles. Count the fingers, seven. <laughs> those those hits included Saving All My Love For You, How Will I Know, How Will I Know, uh, Greatest Love Of All, I Want To Dance With Somebody, I Want To Feel The Heat With Somebody, and uh, Didn't We Almost Have It All, So Emotional, and Where Do Broken Hearts Go. All great songs. Uh, I'm a big Whitney Houston fan. Uh, jam out to her every morning in the shower. Um, I bet you do. I bet you do. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm pretty sure she still holds that record of seven, count the fingers, seven top singles, consecutive singles. Yeah, I, I have no idea about that. Um, but that is, I mean, that that's a, a pretty good um, statistic to have under your belt. I am by no means a Whitney Houston fan, but I do respect that... Uh, <laughs> that uh seven consecutive singles that's pretty awesome <laughs> are you doing you mean, some judging over there no i was hoping you would sing with me oh no i don't know any whitney houston songs i'm not a fan oh, oh. <laughs> i want a podcast with somebody somebody who loves me all right go ahead <laughs> Okay, April 24th of 1975, SNL producer Lorne Michaels makes an on-air offer to pay $3,000 for a Beatles reunion on the show. Which, <laughs> this is one of those things we, I, I distinctly remember talking about last time. Yes. Um, $3,000 Oops. $3,000 to offer the Beatles to come back 
seems like a ludicrously low number. <laughs> yes, I know. Because any one of them so individually could have could go play in some dive bar and charge three thousand dollars, and no one would even bat an eye. I know. I but know. Three thousand dollars for them all to have a reunion on the show. <laughs> just like <laughs> I can't imagine when they when they when they heard of that. They're I can't imagine what they thought. They're just like. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Call it 4,000 and we'll do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Add a couple zeros. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Also on April 24th, 1968. Uh, <laughs> this one's awesome. During a birthday celebration, the Ke- the Who's Keith Moon drives his Lincoln into a Holiday Inn swimming pool. <laughs> All right. <laughs> That now that, that after then it's a party. <laughs> yes, it's all fun and games until a Lincoln ends up in the Holiday Inn pool. <laughs> it sounds like an awesome party. Yeah, I know. <laughs> April twenty fifth of nineteen ninety, Jimi Hendrix uh, Woodstock Fender Stratocaster fetches two hundred ninety five thousand dollars at auction. Two hundred ninety five thousand dollars for six strings, and uh, you know the rest of the guitar. <laughs> yeah you know i'm i'm looking at this like 290 okay let's call it three hundred thousand dollars is a lot of money it is that is not as much money as i would have assumed Jimi hendrix fender stratocaster uh would have sold for us not just not just a regular fender stratocaster that he just happened to play this is the one he played at woodstock Yes. I mean, and the famous I, the famous national anthem on and yeah, you know, and if someone would just what? ask me, what your reaction to that was, just like I don't believe you. No, I was I was agreeing with you. Oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. Just keep talking. Okay, lost my train of thought. Thank you very much. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, if someone would have come up to me on the street and asked me, like how much i thought that that guitar was going to sell for i would have not said a dollar less than a million dollars i would have probably said a half a million well you're wrong <laughs> <laughs> well sorry yeah i don't know it just seems like that is very low for what it is cuz you know i mean i'm just looking at it at i mean look at the ridiculous amounts of money people pay for collectors pay for ridiculous things yeah yeah, you know that's it's, true. Some people just go nuts, um, and so I don't know. It just seems low to me. Maybe it's not. I maybe I'm thinking of it. Maybe 2018, um, uh, mindset, and this is 1990. Maybe that's the problem. I don't know. But but no, I I agree with you. I I, I would feel like it would go for more, for mm-hmm. sure. Um, all right, man, you're up. All right, April 28th, 1987. For the very first time, a CD is released before its vinyl version. And as much digging as we did, we could not find what the actual album was. We saw a lot of prints, but uh, we couldn't figure out or, or pinpoint the exact one. So if anybody out there knows what CD was released before its final version in terms of what album it was, let us know, send us an email, or post on our Facebook or Twitter accounts. We really want to know. Um, yeah, I mean, there's not... Yeah, I don't know. We we dug for quite a while trying to find what this album is, and we all we could find is the date and 
you know, that it happened, like the historical note. Uh-huh. But we have absolutely no idea what album or what artist, and so we'd, we'd love to know. <clears throat> All right. Sorry, I'm typing it in real quick. <laughs> Waiting on you. All right, I'll go ahead. April 30th okay, sorry. <laughs> of 1983, blues legend Muddy Waters dies of a heart attack at the age of 68. You know, I don't I don't really have a whole lot else to go on <laughs> no, with that. No, I like no. Muddy Waters, but <laughs> he died. <laughs> uh oops. Um <laughs> April 30th of 2005. This one is pretty zany. Uh the Dave Matthews band pays $200,000 in damages after their tour bu- their tour bus dumped human waste onto a boatload of tourists in Chicago in August of 2004. Ugh. Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, I, <laughs> I'm guessing it was a mistake. Like they didn't mean to do that. They were probably just emptying their tank before they headed back on the road, and people were standing right there because they might have either known it was their bus. I mean, who knows? But, ugh. Uh, yeah, I would hope it was something like like that and not intentional. But I don't know. That's ugh, icky. Ugh. See, see, we can't laugh at that one. We have to go. No, that's that's bad. No, I mean it's that's, funny, but it's like ugh, gross. <laughs> that's bad. <laughs> All right, uh, that's a wrap. Thank you guys again for joining us here, at Young Nostalgia, this week as we continue our journey through retro pop culture. As we uh, finished up episode thirty-three, part uh, well, actually take two, as we had to try and. <laughs> finagle our way around into the same jo- jokes we made a couple days ago but still laugh at them uh, no i think it was a great show i think it was fun yeah um <laughs> as good. we <laughs> good rehearsal good rehearsal. yes yeah yeah it was great it was great and if you like my singing please rate us on apple podcasts or wherever you listen um while i'm out there on podbean stitcher spotify google play um you know subscribe rate and share if you like our show um we, we'd really love the feedback it really helps us reach more people out there especially apple Podcasts. you know if you're not on there totally understandable we understand make some comments on our twitter and facebook pages which you can find on our banners at our podbean page um, but if you have a topic for a future guest uh, i mean for a future topic or would you like to be a guest with ben and i give us an email at youngnostalgia2017 at gmail.com I think that's the uh, big part of my spiel, and I really hope you know it means a lot for you guys to stick with us. And uh, we apologize for the inconsistency we uh, recently, but uh, with the uh, you know outside workload of Ben giving me excuses all the time and why he can't record, and me yeah, just oh, okay, <laughs> okay, okay, and and me just losing audio files so we can't actually release an episode. <laughs> um, you know, it's been it's been great to get back at it, and we promise you that we'll be uh, back on track. Uh, after this episode but anything else big guy nope nope i got nothing else that was a fun show uh well they're always fun let's be honest but even better the second time yeah even better (laughs) (laughs) and as we always say oh i'm sorry go ahead nope no i had nothing nothing oh all right all right all right all right We're, we're messing up our ending a little bit uh dramatic pause as we always say here on young nostalgia Keep the bottles empty and the ashtrays full. Take care, everybody.